What's up, everybody? It is episode 32 of Creative Writing. I'm your host, Nikki Balsax. Buck Roller. Moff Gerard. This week, we're going to talk about mountain bikes. That's it. Just mountain bikes. Hey, boils and goyles, ladies and joims. If you're an American or you live in one of the territories that's uh, part of America, this weekend, you know that the 4th of July is coming up. I please, please, please beg you to ride safely, ride responsibly, don't hurt anybody else, but have a good time, you know what I mean? Get out there, take some chances, do some fun biker stuff. If you need to know what's going on around you, go to cyclefish.com. That's C-Y-C-L-E-F-I-S-H.com. On Cyclefish, there's an events page, and you can look up what's happening around your part of town, around your part of the country, your hunting grounds, your fishing village, whatever you, wherever you like to hang out on your bike. They've got something happening everywhere. Now, go on there and, like I said, check it out and see what's happening. And maybe you can hook up with the ride this weekend. And whatever you do, please ride responsibly, ride safe, don't drink and ride, all that great stuff. So, happy Fourth of July, America! That's like the worst motorcycle sound in the world. All right, first things first, America. How you doing, nation? I'm just going to start saying nation like every workout guy nowadays. That'd be pretty awesome. So, all right, nation. I want you to know that I love everything two wheels, and I've been a bicyclist basically my whole life. And if you're like me, you can truly enjoy mountain biking. It's like the closest thing you can come to dirt biking on two wheels. A lot of motorcycle racers, no matter what their discipline, do a lot of mountain biking, whether they're road racers, motocrossers, um, flat trackers, all that stuff. They all do a lot of mountain biking and road biking and all that stuff to keep up their conditioning and keep up... Uh, I guess maybe just their skills on two wheels because I'll tell you, it's if you're a trials rider, I guarantee that you're probably a pretty good uh, bike trials rider as well. So anyway, I'd like to talk a little bit about mountain biking today. There was a documentary I watched, oh gosh, I forget what the heck it was called, but it was about riding the roof, which is the Tour Divide, basically. And that is a that's a race from... Canada to Mexico or Mexico to Canada, depending on which way you want to travel. And basically it starts in Banff if you're going south and ends in Antelope Wells, New Mexico, or vice versa if you're going from south to north. And basically this is like a race across America the long way down. And if you were uh, Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman, but in much better condition, you could do this. I don't think they they would have been able to do this. This is tough enough for them to do the stuff they did on motorcycles. So this is something literally you're by yourself. And in the documentary, it was called Ride the Divide. I think it came out in 2010, something like that. I know I've seen it a few years ago now. But anyway, it was amazing. And it followed, oh, I forget, a handful of people on this ride. And basically, you're by yourself out there. You're camping by yourself. You're riding across, like I said, from, you know, basically Canada to Mexico. So you're going to be hitting all sorts of terrain. You're going to be hitting like every single sort of wildlife that lives in North America. And partially because you're riding the continental divide, you're going to be in the mountains and all that great stuff. So it's they call it the roof because it 
it's the you know the great rocky mountains and everything that divides our country basically divides our continent um between you know one landmass to the other so in this documentary i thought oh that'd be kind of fun that'd be cool camping and biking it's just like adv but on a pedal bike push bike if you're from uh you know england or australia but I don't know. There's something about it where you're going out there, you're by yourself, you're, you're everything that you need to sustain yourself has to be on this bike. So not only are you trying to do, you know, keep up your speed and you're trying to be able to traverse all sorts of mostly fire roads, but you know, there's some things that you have to go across. that's pretty rough, you know, especially for, uh, a mountain bike. If you're on a motorcycle, this is probably pretty simple, but, but a mountain bike and having to, traverse some of this terrain is pretty insane you got to pack bajillion um inner tubes and if you're not using tubes if you got like a tubeless thing you know you just basically need to bring spares anything you have you need to bring spares so not only that you got to bring food water a a tent you know change of undies (laughs) tp you know you're you may not see people for days now, the reason I'm talking about this is not only do I love mountain biking, I thought this would be pretty fun. Once I saw this documentary, it did not look like any more fun. I thought this is the, got to be the shittiest way to, ra- quote, race. And at the time when I saw this documentary, it didn't look like much of a race. But now uh, I've recently checked it, and there is a bunch of uh, computer tracking that you can do. It looks like people have transponders, maybe. I'm not, I, I don't remember. It's been a while since I saw the documentary. It's probably been five years ago since I saw it. So I don't remember what sort of transponders and things like that they use to track their times. I just remember that they would get on the trail and go, and one girl couldn't go anywhere for like three weeks because she swelled up so bad. And I mean, this is the sort of punishment that you're subjecting your body to. If you think the ISDE or, you know, like the six days stuff or the Erzberg rodeo and all that stuff is rough, try biking across the, you know, basically across the United States in what turns out to be, you know, a couple months. So the reason I wanted to bring this up is we all know the Isla Man just finished recently and there was somebody absent this year that has kind of like the face of the Isle of Man over the past couple of years, and that's Guy Martin. Now, the reason Guy Martin wasn't there this year may have been because he got twacked up during the Northwest 200. And, you know, last year, I think he ate it at the Isle of Man. Was that the year his bike blew up? Was the year before last at Isle of Man? I don't remember if it was that year or the year before, but he's had some pretty crappy shit happen to him. Crappy shit is not an oxymoron, by the way. It's like a double positive. Um, but anyway, some crappy shit has happened to him, and I, you know, I'm thinking it's going to get to the point that he he's like such a sensational star. He's this like reality TV star abroad. He's got like many shows. Uh, I think he's got a show where he try. It's kind of like Top Gear, but for Guy Martin only. And he tries all these crazy challenges and stuff. And I'm thinking, what an international superstar. He's really just a truck mechanic. And he's never won the TT for being such an icon and a face of the TT and like well-branded for a guy who's not into all the... Um, I don't know, all the logistics and stuff like that. He just want, he goes there and he races and he gets the hell out. He's not, you know what I mean? Um, you can't understand him to do an interview with him or anything like that. So it's not like he wants to sit around and shoot the shit. He's just a very interesting guy. So I thought, you know, the whole reason that he's been doing the TT forever is because 
he likes it. You know what I mean? He's one of those guys that I was talking about a couple episodes ago, like him and Cameron Donald and those guys that are regular working stiffs that come over here to race and they're not looking for contingency money and, you know, sponsorship and other series. You know what I mean? So why this year was just a bummer that he wasn't there partially because of all the reasons I've mentioned. And it just seemed kind of like it was, you know, the NFL missing your favorite insert favorite team here. You know, you're one of the biggest teams isn't there this year. And it's kind of weird to play the NFL without them. I like to play without them. Um, why wasn't he there? Well, it's because he was riding the tour divide under the name Terry Smith this year. So, uh, he basically, I guess, took an assumed name so that he wouldn't get mobbed by fans and, you know, all the media and things like that. But basically, it was really the worst kept secret since... Lorenzo. Uh, <laughs> number 99 going over to Ducati. You know what I mean? When we found out Lorenzo was going to Ducati, we pretty much found out about it six months before they said it was official. So I think what happened was back in January, I didn't catch this, but I guess he said he was maybe going to skip the TT this year. Maybe people just like took it with a grain of salt because, you know... He's such an icon there, but turns out he wasn't fooling. And so he finished, I think, about oh, a couple days ago, because I had just checked it a couple days ago, and he was just reaching the Antelope Wells border station in New Mexico. And so, yeah, that's part of the reason why he wasn't there. Um, only one person caught up to him, and if you watch the documentary, you'll find out why. You're riding through wilderness, like I said, by yourself. You're pretty much self-sustenant, so the only time you really need to stop into town or any any places if you start to run out of supplies or you get hurt or something like that, there's there's really no reason aside from refilling that you need to stop. So people, I'm sure he didn't need to enter under a fake name. I'm sure it would have been pretty hard to find him out there in the wilderness between you know, Canada and Mexico, the two countries that are trying to attack us all the time. So basically he entered under a fake name and that was kind of silly, but he did this thing. And, uh, basically I think it took him 18 days, I want to say, and he got turned around a couple times, he said, and it's a 2,712 mile race. Although somewhere I saw that it said closer to 2,800, but that's close enough. That's, you know, less than 100 miles off. So basically, you know, he said he got turned around a couple times because he was using old maps and he's sure that he added extra 100 miles because of it. There was no camera crews. Um, if you actually get outside help, you get disqualified. So that was part of the reason why he wanted to be anonymous. But like I said, you can't find him. You know, it's hard, hard enough to obviously for him to find his way, uh, onto the right track so i don't think anybody else you know that actually knows the track would even be able to spot him even if they knew exactly where he's going to be so he finished in 18 days six hours and 23 minutes averaging about 150 miles a day which is a pretty damn good if you ride a bicycle you know uh 150 miles a day in a bike saddle you're gonna get a monkey butt you know your taint's gonna hurt or your chode whatever and your maple bar as i like to call it and and, you know it's taxing on the body and sure as shit 150 miles a day that's over a that's a century and a half every day basically so you know congrats to him another uh englishman actually won doing it in 13 days 22 hours and 51 minutes so just under 14 days or two weeks 
or a Fortnite if you're in that part of the world. And so basically, I thought that was pretty amazing to ride from Canada down to Mexico in two weeks. Shit, some people take a summer vacation and can't make it across America from California to Florida in two weeks, road tripping it. It's like, hey, man, it's not enough time to enjoy it, so we got to turn around. It's like Boomhauer, you know? So anyway... I just thought that was super interesting. The reason he was not at the TT this year was because he was doing a little bit of push biking. And if you watch the TT, you'll see him in the pits all the time on his mountain bike. So it should be no surprise that he enjoys the two-wheel life. But uh, the fact that he kind of gave up a prestigious world road race, you know, one of the very few that's left to do this, maybe um, reminds me a little bit of Ben Spees when Ben Spees, you know, got booted out of MotoGP like after his rookie season and he now does a lot of road bike stuff and he does um you know basically a lot of bike racing on two wheel human power so they caught up with him at the end of the race at the uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection Station in New Mexico and they asked him what he thought about the uh, Tour Divide you know he finished it in a little over 18 days and six hours and he described it as the toughest thing he's ever done, saying it was bloody brilliant. 2,712 miles, 185,000 feet climbing. Brutal. Which, if you know Guy Martin, probably sounded something like this. So, yeah, the little, the little woodchuck on crack cocaine uh, did it. And when he, there's a couple pictures of him you can find online. You can see how his bike's kitted out, which is really cool. It's very minimal. Um, it's funny to me that ADV guys like pack all these like panniers and side cases and top boxes and then load the tank bag on top of that and then some other shit on the side. And this guy rode from fucking Canada to Mexico. And if you look at his bike, it's like literally shit you could probably fit in a backpack. And that includes tent, some food supplies, two bottles of water. And all of the spares that you're going to need, like spokes, chains, inner tubes, grips, fucking undies, um, what's that shit called? <laughs> Diaper rash cream, all that great shit. So, and I'm sure like extra socks and all that so your feet don't get jungle rot. And it basically like fits under a bag on his handlebars and it's super, super small. So, um, all you ADV guys with your gigantic uh, Tiger 1200s and Ducati Multistradas and GS, uh, R1200 GSs, you can suck it because Guy Martin did it on a bike that probably weighed about 20 pounds. So, all right, speaking of off road, this last weekend I went to Born Free 8. Now, that's not really the off-road part. What I did the next day was go off-road. My buddy wanted to meet me for, uh, test out his new FJ, grab a beer, and do a little bit of bro talk. So that's exactly what we did. Where we met was Wildemar, and that is between me and San Diego. He lives in San Diego, I live in the LA area, so we met up halfway in between. Wildemar, right? So we get out there. I'd never been there. He'd never been there. We follow... Uh, I was using Waze and he was using Google Maps. I guess they're both pretty much the same thing. We get, we, we meet up in... I don't know what this is. Sun City, I'm guessing the place is called. But we, we start driving east out to the... Or I'm sorry, west out to the... Uh, the road to get there and i said you know it says there's a lot it says there's a tra- uh, you know a road to get there there's a bathroom there are facilities yada yada we get out there 
and basically we drive through this crazy residential neighborhood that reminded me sort of like Rosamond when, when you're heading out to Willow Springs and it kind of turns into winery or actually vineyards and horse ranches. That's exactly what it re- reminded me going out here to Wildemar. And so we passed through all these gigantic horse ranches and rancho style houses and stuff and all this like empty property and it's really beautiful out there and a lot of wineries and this and that. And I'm going, oh, this is cool, you know? We drive through all these neighborhoods and then suddenly it spits us out onto this dirt road and I thought, oh cool, a groomed fire road, here we go. And we're headed down and then it ends at someone's house. And just to the left of that was this basically like a motocross trail and I was like holy shit and my friend comes up behind me in his jeep and I was like listen dude or actually it's not a jeep it's Toyota his FJ and I was like dude uh let me go catch that guy down there on that hiking trail walking behind the house and see where uh where this if this is the right trail because I just don't feel like this is right like there's no gate there's no entryway there's definitely no parking lot is this just the trail so anyway I try to catch the guy and he's gone and I'm not gonna go basically riding in someone's property on a hiking foot hiking path on my, on my bike you know and then not even end up catching the guy he was pretty far away so I turn around and I come back and I was like dude I guess this is it like both of our GPS apps are telling us this is the way to go right as we're waiting some kooky lady pulls up behind us in this gigantic dually with like a bunch of hay in the back and I was like sweet she owns or lives probably at this horse ranch and I wanted to ask her, like, is this the right way? And I stop, and I'm, like, waving at her to, like, roll her window down, and she just, like, doesn't even see me, which basically hashtag motorcycles are invisible, right? Because I'm literally sitting, I'm the only, of, of three three vehicles on the road, there's her, the FJ, and me, and I'm right by her passenger window. Three, I could have reached out and knocked on it, except for I, I didn't want to because she looked like she had zero shits given. So basically, I couldn't ask her, hey, is this the road up to the 4 by trail, right? So... Uh, we we just decided this is it, and we proceeded up it. There's no other roads around forever. I mean, we're like out here in the middle of nowhere, and this is literally the only road that you can still continue on, except that it's fucking like... I wouldn't say that it was like an intermediate trail. It's probably a beginner trail on a dirt bike, but dudes, I'm on my street bike. I mean, it's kind of like in flat track gear since I flat tracked it before, but that means that like... You know, the suspension isn't set enough for bombing dirt track. It's kind of low for, you know, staying on the groomed roundy rounds, right? And driving on the streets. And I love to do canyon carving and all that stuff. So, I mean, it's not lifted up for dirt stuff. So, I start, and it's got street tires on it. So, all all of those factors, keep that in mind as I start, start up this road. I'm cruising and I'm picking my lines and, you know... I mentioned earlier when I was talking about the Tour Divide that I love mountain biking. I've been mountain biking for a long time. I'm pretty comfortable on dirt on two wheels, only, you know, it's not a heavy two wheels. And I haven't ridden a dirt bike in a long, long, long ass time. So basically, I was like, oh man, this is like a little bit out of my comfort zone. And here I'm on this like street bike, but let's go ahead and do it. It's not low like a ninja or anything like that, but you know. And it's not heavy like a Harley, so I knew it would do it. It's basically what people used to do back in the day when you got your, like, you know, your 250, 350, 400, you know, insert name here, throw knobbies on it, and now it's a scrambler, you know, back in the 70s. So basically that's what I was doing. And I'm going, and a few weeks ago I had watched the Cycle Garage's, uh, I guess they took a scrambler, 
What else did they take? They, t- they took a couple scramblers. It wasn't the new Yamaha, but I think it was a Ducati and something else. Uh, maybe one of the Triumphs or something like that. They, t- they took them off uh, into some quote unquote like scrambling, you know, little little race or little uh, rally or something like that. And they actually made it pretty far on them for the type of tires that they had and all that stuff because, you know, scramblers aren't sold with great dirt tires they're probably like 80 20 or 90 10 you know what i mean more built for street just like every adventure bike than actual like dirt so fire road sure but this shit i needed knobbies on man and i was super surprised that i made it up some of the stuff that i did i only fell twice and uh one time was turning around and the bike was pointed downhill and i was trying to grab front brake and i just fell off so that one barely counts the other time my uh, hand grip just caught a bush and pulled me off over into the bank so I didn't actually go down I just kind of fell sideways like a foot so I was really stoked that I didn't eat shit because I still I rode 75 miles there to do that and then I still had 75-ish miles to ride home you know a little more 77 78 somewhere around there so I was just thinking after I fell into the dirt when the when the bush caught my handlebar I was like oh dude don't you dare break a hand lever. I have this whole list written down from episode one that I haven't even covered yet because it, I, I didn't, I've been kind of like taking notes on it and making it of, you know, spare things to bring on your outdoor, you know, rides or like adventure rides and stuff. So it's a, a list I've been slowly making and, and uh, slowly getting together through experience and through looking at um, other things that it kind of looks like people forget. And I was like, oh, I, I actually have that down on my list of spare levers. And here I'm out here with no spare tubes, no spare levers, no spare cables. I better not, and no fucking tools. Cause I just thought I was going to ride to a parking lot, jump in the FJ with my buddy and go wheeling, you know? And I was like, no prob. I did not know that I was going to have to ride up a fucking dirt bike trail to get to this parking lot and there was he i kept looking back and he was way behind me like i didn't even see him for a while and i was like did he stop or turn around so that's when i fell the second time is i i stopped to wait for him and i was like what the fuck where is he so i mean if that gives you an idea of how crazy this was that he was coming up at slow in his fj where you know he's used to bombing up shit and i was just taking it since i could go through and between and around the rocks and stuff (laughs) Sorry about that. I had to go uh, put a sock in my dog's mouth. Anyway, so it was easy enough for me to pick lines and go through some of these rock outcroppings, I guess, that he had to drive over and around. So I guess it does make sense. But I was just pretty stoked that I, you know, having not ridden on dirt, not very good dirt rider, uh, made it up this stuff, you know what I mean, on my freaking street bike. So I was pretty stoked. And thinking about this story now listening and editing i think it'd be funny to talk about the things that i would not be stoked to have to drive up this uh one of them being a sidecar full of eggs that i had to deliver to like a bakery i also would not want to have to drive a van full of little kids like two and under i think it would be an extremely bad idea to drive a bus full of older people that have confidence issues up this It would be really, really bad idea to try and take a cruiser with a big fat chick on the back that only had one eye, 13 tattoos, and a big hairy mole on her leg. I'm not riding up this bumpy dirt road with her shaking all over the back like some of the Parkinson's playing Yahtzee. No sirree, Bob. I would also hate to take a custom trike up this thing. 
but come to think of it, maybe that would be pretty sweet, and uh, I might surprise myself. Well, I can't think of anything else I would rather not take up this than a station wagon full of dynamite. I think that's probably a pretty good list of things not to take up this road. Uh, Let's get back to the story. And I kind of wanted to have been looking at shoes for my bike anyway because there's a couple dirt trails here that um, would be pretty fun and I couldn't make it up them before because they were pretty steep. So, you know, having street canyon carver tires and uh, dirt roads I think I've got some tires picked out that would be happy on both. You know, not 100% on either, so I'll have to reduce, you know, not get so crazy um, leaning over and stuff until I get comfy on them, but good enough to also, you know, be able to go up some of these pretty steep dirt paths around here, especially when it's kind of slippery, uh, you know, sand on gravel and stuff like that. So at any rate, I don't have those now. And that's the thing is that I was just basically on, you know, street tires going up this stuff and was just pretty happy with myself that I made it up there without calamity and without crashing. Actually, you know, I just, like I said, I I fell over a couple of times, but, uh, more of a tip over actually, you know, foot down, slow fall sort of thing. Didn't actually like fall, fall hard. So super stoked on that, made it up there. And like I said, my friend was like behind me the whole time and just kept, I, was he, is he there? Is he there? I don't want to get stuck out here alone. I don't have tools. I, I don't have water. Like this is so stupid. I, I didn't really think we were going to be going on a trail like that. So totally unprepared. I got totally lucky. Things could have totally turned out bad. And I don't want to make that out more than it is. Like, oh man, I was doing like hardcore shit. Like, uh, what's <laughs> that movie? Um, reason to ride or whatever the fuck that movie was called where they're crying and smoking cigars or none of that shit like i didn't feel like i was gonna die but it was really hot and i was in all black gear with no water and it was just kind of stupid is what it was but at any rate nothing nothing major happened got to the got to the parking lot and there's a dude and his son in a range rover with the trailer loading up their what looked like well one was a yamaha i think one was ktm and they're like, oh, man, look, they're just staring at me as I ride in. And I was like, oh, whew, that was brutal. Can I park here? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and he, he's like, you know, I'm pretty much a street rider myself. I don't usually ride the dirt that much. And I was like, yeah, cool, man. And, and I'm looking at his pretty Range Rover towing this trailer with two bikes on it. And I was like, you guys made it up that? Like, you guys came up here? And he's like, yeah. And I said, you guys made it up the road that gets here. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, the one where you had to pass by a horse farm? And he's like, mm, I don't know. And the son was like, yeah, yeah, we passed by a horse farm. And I was like, holy crap, I'm surprised that thing made it up here. That's great. And he's pointing to the road, and he's like, you guys came up that way. And I was like, no, I think we came from that way. There was, you know, once we got to the park, there was two roads. One was a peat, one was basically like a gravel dirt road that gets graded and thrown gravel down on it once in a while. And the one that we were on actually was a paved I think fire access road that linked up with that dirt motorbike trail that we came up and that motorbike trail it it wasn't a fire road because there's no way a fire truck could have made it up that unless it was like some crazy ass four by four fire truck maybe one of those like forestry trucks that has like you know four wheel drive um I don't know. It was pretty skinny road, too. So I, I, I have really no idea. I think it was part of a trail. But at, at any rate, when, when we got up to the top of that, there was a paved road that was like just as bad as a dirt road. I had to stand up just to keep from getting jiggled off my bike all the way down. 
Um, yeah. So when we got there and I was wondering how, if he got there that way and he's like, yeah, you came up the same way we did. And I said, Oh shit, dude, that's crazy that that Range Rover made it up that thing, towing a bike or towing a trailer with two bikes. I felt like such a twat. And so when they left, they turned left out of the driveway and I was like, no, 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 that is not the way we, we came in. We came from uphill, from upright, where the road up there ends and these dirt trails start. So when I got home, oh, and then, you know, then we're, when we went froden and everything was fun and cool and uh, bashed my bike on the shit like crazy, you know, and finally got in my friend's FJ. We drove around, did what I said, you know, did some beer and some bro talk and some sweet wheeling. Got back to the parking lot. We left out of there, and I realized that they had gone left, so we had to go back the way we came. Going back downhill was not as crazy because going uphill, I had to, I had to actually hike a bike a couple times where I got off, and I'm giving it gas, and like I stalled it a bunch of times just because like the the torque isn't that great, like it you know like on a dirt bike or anything like that. So uh, just. You felt like I was just wearing the clutch out. I was so worried. I didn't want to pull a Buell. If you ever heard the the Wheel Nerds episode where uh, I think Chuck takes his Buell out and then just fries the fucking clutch and can't get home because he does the same thing I did, get out in, in some dirt that's like steep McGeep and then, you know, doesn't have the suitable tires to get out. So therefore, you know, fries his clutch. That's how I felt, at least going up the hill most of the way. I was just like riding the clutch so it wouldn't stall. Like I said, I stalled a few times in some of the sand, but uh, tried to keep the revs up after that. Had to hike a bike it and was afraid of like launching it, <laughs> but my tires had literally zero traction. So it was just like peeling out over these rocks and there were rocks with sand on them too. So I was basically giving it like first gear, almost full throttle, but walking next to the bike and it wasn't really going anywhere. I was, I was pushing it up as I was giving it full throttle and it was barely going up. And then all I needed it to do was just get a little bit of traction and wheelie out of my hands. That would have been so fun. But at any rate, that didn't happen. I was pretty cautious about it. But there was actually, you know, one place going up some some rocks that on a dirt bike probably would have climbed up them no prob on my, you know, heavy, not too heavy, but heavier than dirt bike, street bike with street tires and no ground clearance. Yeah, that was a chore. So coming back down that stuff was was fun and when I got back to that part where I had to hike it up it was pretty sketchy because it was like a step down and of course I can't just jump down it if I was on a dirt bike I would have just you know leaned back and give a little throttle and try to jump down it but I had to like pick this weird line down it since I'm on a street bike and I was like all I need to do is pop a tire on these or bottom out blow my fucking suspension out you know and then jump on the highway and ride home with floppy forks you know so it was it was interesting but at the same time it was super 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 fun and it just reminded me of the old days when you would just take a bike and go out on it and you know they could be a couple few hundred pounds you know and still make it over the stuff that you know much lighter bikes are making it over these days much more powerful bikes but at any rate it also proved to me that you, I, I think I could do with two bikes, one for long distance and road, um, I don't know, commuting, I guess, and maybe some light touring. And then another bike for just hooning on and on the road and on the dirt. So I, the, I don't know how many times I've talked about my little stinky 250 and all the stuff I've done on it. And it's like been my favorite bike ever. 
and basically I can't take a bigger bike, you know, getting my 550 up there would have just been uh, stupid and it would have just been taking like a Harley street up there basically. And, you know, obviously anything, <laughs> anything bigger, like, you know, a GS might've made it, but, uh, all the other bikes I've had that were big weren't, weren't road bikes. So there's no way I would have even tried it on those. I would have just buried them in a bush at the bottom of the hill and rode up with my friend in the Jeep. So just so cool how, how diverse that little bike has been, um, in the 10 or so years that I've had it. And I'm going to throw some, some like semi dirt shoes on it and, and just start to hoon around on it a little bit more and have more fun with it than I have been. So it's already been a blast. Now it's going to be like ultimate, I don't know, whatever bike, ultimate sweet so something else i wanted to mention since i was in the wilds of southern california cruising around was the complex fire basically that was a fire east of me over in azusa canyon which is a a road that i like to ride because a lot of people go over to the west side of la and ride the snake and mulholland and all that stuff and go to the rock store and all that great shit where you probably see some idiot movie star like keanu reeves or brad pitt some people go up the two which is a great back way into the antelope valley and palmdale on the other side of the, the mountains from la and some people like to ride the 39, which basically goes up to a place called Crystal Lake, which if you're a fan of the Friday the 13th movies, you may, might not want to go there. But I love going up there. It, it does end, dead ends, because the Forestry Service for many years has closed a gate. If On my bike, I could get by the thing. And on a mountain bike or a 10-speed, you can get by the, the little gate. Obviously, a car, you can't. And some bigger bikes, you can't. So... Uh, one more reason why the 250 is so cool. But anyways, that goes all the way up and connects to the two eventually somewhere up, um, you know, like east of Newcombs. But yeah, that road I really love to ride just because it's it's unique out of all those other roads. And it's a turnaround and Azusa Canyon's up there, which is like an off-road park. So what basically happened, I was going to ask my friend if he wanted to go up there and go off-roading because it's a paved um I guess you would call it a highway, you know, like a state route highway that goes up there. It's just basically a road up to a parking lot where you then go Froden. And so we were going to go there instead of Wildemar, but the complex fire had shut it down. Apparently some guy, I just learned this today on the news that he crashed a 50, I want to say 56 year old guy. He was driving his car and he crashed and it caught the hill on fire. And that's what started the, the two fires up there that became known as, as the, uh, the complex fire because it was a fish fire and the reservoir fire. But anyway, make a long story short, I was thinking about what if I had gone up there and then that shit happened and then I got caught out up there with like no supplies. I would have been screwed because there are weird trails and stuff back off the mountain. If, you, if I've looked at Google Maps and scoped them out, and some of them look pretty rough, um, pretty crazy, but it's just one of those things where you don't want to get caught out in something like that unprepared, how I was unprepared this weekend. Um, I kind of should have been a little bit more prepared, even if I was going on a short-distance ride like up there, because God forbid I would have gone up there and that would have happened. You know, I'm not sure what they did with the people that were up there, because there's a campground at Crystal Lake at the top, and I'm sure there were people up there when, when uh, that fire happened. They had to come down the road that was burning to get out of there. So I'm not 100% sure what they did with those guys. But thank goodness everything turned out okay. And it's all like 96% contained right now. So that's all good and good to go. Um, 
Before all this happened, before the off-roading, before the tour divide, and before the hill, well, after the hill caught on fire, uh, I went down to Born Free. Now, Born Free 8 is the closest thing you could come to, I guess, Sturgis in uh, SoCal. And I, you know, I'm not even going to compare it to Daytona Bike Week because it's not anywhere near uh, a beach like Daytona is. I'm pretty sure Daytona is by a beach. Hmm. You know, I know Florida is in the Midwest somewhere, so maybe there's no beach. Anyway, my geography is so good that I could I could tell you all this uh, in another podcast. But right now, uh, Born Free Eight, it was it's it's in this little place called Silverado Canyon, and it's tucked out of the way. I've been following it for a few years, but I've never gone. And the first couple of years, it just seemed like a custom builders meet sort of. I believe the guys from Show Class Magazine are the ones that started it. And they just kind of did it as like a, a way to acknowledge people that they liked. And they started a little magazine and they wanted to kind of get people in the space together. And it was less of a huge ass event that it is now. I guess there's eight seasons, you know, now that it's been going on. So if you didn't grow, you're doing something wrong, I guess. But they have absolutely just blown up. And people from all around the world immediately started coming right away within like the first five, you know what I mean? And so a lot of times you see people there like Roland Sands and you see Shinya Kimura, I believe was there the first year. A lot of crazy stuff that people bring in. And I don't think at the first few that you had to buy a grass pass. I think you would just come and park. But now attendance is so high, you got to buy a grass pass to get your motorcycle into the event. If you don't have a grass pass, you got to park out in this uh, dirt field and I took a picture of it and I put it up on creativewriting.com. And, or you could check, I put a link on our Facebook page too and our Tumblr and Twitter page. I took a picture of just standing at my bike looking out at the um, parking lot. But the thing you have to take into consideration is that the parking lot is downhill and I was parked near the bottom of the hill. So I'm only showing you stuff that you can see before the parking lot curves up over the hill. There were literally thousands i would like to get you know i don't know if they took numbers i'm I'm guessing that they probably did because there was a parking company uh taking care of everybody and the cars parked separate from the bikes so i'm sure they were counting bikes by themselves and i i just wonder if they kept accurate numbers of how many people attended and how many you know i guess they could also count the coffers and see how many people paid admission and how many wristbands were given away i didn't see any official numbers as of yet but i can tell you that there was you know a few thousand people there i don't know about a hundred of thousand but there was a lot many many thousands of people there because there was that many bikes out in the parking lot and that was just on saturday I'm not 100 percent sure how sunday went down but it was pretty sweet. Now, the thing is, is that you'll see all sorts of riders there, which is great. I would say you'll see all sorts of bikes there, but that's pretty much only in the parking lot. This year inside, it was a lot of choppers and tons of Harleys, mostly knuckleheads, I noticed. Um, there was a bunch of panheads too, but just a ton of knuckles, uh, lots of custom. I mean, of course, everything's custom. Even even the you know daily uh, riders that come in are highly customized uh the funniest thing i saw was a bunch of tip overs people trying to be cool sitting on their bikes tipping them over into other people's bikes it was sort of like Pee Wee herman except for that the people that i saw tip were 
kind of toward the end of the line, so they only hit three bikes down instead of like 20. So that was pretty funny. I could tell that they probably weren't familiar with parking on grass that much. Um, you know, nowadays, very few things in this coast, at least, are on grass. Most of it's on pavement or, or hard dirt. So uh, that was kind of funny to see. And then up in the parking lot, where if you didn't have a grass pass, you had to park out in the dirt field. Uh, like I said, there was thousands, hundreds of thousands of bikes and stuff out there. A lot of sport bikes, a lot of custom bikes and stuff out there too that just didn't make it in. But the funny thing too is since it was on a hill and it was dirt, people were doubly uncomfortable. And you could tell there was a lot of cafe racer guys that showed up and a couple street tracker guys that were pretty comfy looking riding on dirt because they didn't have these big ass bikes. But the dudes that were cruising in on like the road glides and street glides and the limiteds and stuff super sketchy riding a on dirt just even in a straight line they did not look comfy at all they looked a little freaked out you had to ride through some uh big not pea gravel but the bigger like peanut gravel and when the tire would wiggle a little bit oh they just looked so sketched out so it was kind of funny watching those guys cruise these big giant land ships just to park and then once we got on the parking lot and it turned out to be a hill and dirt oh my god you could just see brown marks appear in their pants like this is not my wheelhouse you know what i mean so it's kind of funny thinking about that wheeling these big ass cruisers through some dirt and especially parking them on a hill i saw a couple tip overs in the parking lot just because they're not used to parking that way they're not used to parking on an incline and they're not used to having to kind of skid down on some dirt so it was pretty comical that that whole weekend was super cool um met up with the small production crew from the motorcycles and misfits podcast um, namely Mike and Mary and Rebecca and Jake. And that was super fun just hanging out with them. Um, I wasn't really there to take pics and do videos or interviews or all that stuff, but uh, I would, basically if they needed me, I was there for moral support and I would have worked cameras and all that stuff, but they totally had it covered. They were great. A lot of fun to hang out with. Um, the weather was perfect, and it usually is. It was forecasted to be pretty hot that week, uh, but it kind of cooled down a little bit. So it was really nice that it just wasn't blazing. It was a little muggy being in that canyon with no wind really coming. Once in a while, you'd get like a wind pass through. But since you're in a canyon, hey, there's no sea breeze coming in. Kind of muggy because there's a lake right next to it. So a little bit of humidity in the air from the evaporation and stuff. But other than that, it was a really, really beautiful time. The wall of death was there. They had their Harley up on this platform on rollers. Actually, I think it was an Indian. And it was way up in, on, on rollers. God, it had to be like 25 feet above the crowd. Just climbing up on top of that thing and sit on the motorcycle up there must have been a pretty pants-shitting uh, you know, exercise in, in Constitution. But this guy was like, you know, once you get it going and a gyroscopic moment takes place and you start, you know, the bike will stand up on its own even though it's on rollers and not moving forward it'll sit there kind of balanced and he was standing up on it standing up on the seat uh, doing the Wee herman with his legs out to one side and his arms out the other like laying back on it like he's napping on it all this shit while it's running you know what i mean he had the cruise control kicked in this thing is running 25 30 feet above the crowd and he's just doing some tricks on it and i don't know how he got it off i don't know how he got it up there they get some really strong motherfuckers must have carried it up there and then he just jumped it off maybe at the after the show was over i have no ideas but it was cool however they did it so that was right outside the wall of death and then you could go in i think you had to pay to see the wall of death so i wasn't into that but and because then you also got to like hang a dollar over the edge so they can grab that so 
Um, I'll watch it on TV. But anyway, yeah, a lot less cafe racer shit that used to be there. Like Roland Sands always brings some really cool racers. And he brought like a little 125 racer there. I think last year he brought a two-stroke attack there that was maybe a 500cc. So he, he was bringing some small displacement, pretty cool little road racers in there for a while. But like I said, now, and there used to be a lot of CBs and just weird weird bikes that are from other countries and diesel and all that shit but this year it was really 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 chopper centric and really harley centric so indian was there roland sands was there and most of them had flat track shit and most of them were there as a vendor not as a show bike so it was kind of interesting to see that dynamic where they're not showing up so much for fun anymore as they are to market some of their shit and show off some of the stuff that they do with their custom parts. So it, that's still cool. I mean, it's still cool that you get to see that, but I could tell you that choppers and hooligan class was a pretty big presence this year. So that uh, kind of leads me to another thing that I wanted to say about the hooligan class is that I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately and a lot of radio shows that uh, have been discussing the hooligan class. And I really want to say that uh, if it were not for Roland Sands and the hooligan class in general, I really don't think uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like a chicken and an egg thing. Like I'm not sure now what came first, the, the street tracker craze and then flat tracking or, or flat tracking. And then the street tracker craze, I kind of feel like for a while I saw mule street trackers and they just, ugh, they blew me away. And a lot of, there was a lot of triumph street trackers that I'd see and they blew me away. And this hooligan thing has really only come since Roland Sands partnered with Ivy league in 2014. So I kind of feel like the tracker thing came first as a style and something that people have always liked on the fringe and the cafe racers were kind of looking for something new, but now it's just going nuts. So I think that that's cool. And like uh, Jared and Nicole Meese said, it is bringing people to the flat track arena, kind of like, I don't know how NASCAR got so many people to like NASCAR, but it, like I said in a, it was either the last episode or the episode before, that it seems to kind of ebb and then flow. Flat tracking is enjoying the custom scene as well as uh, enjoying the hooligan class, which is bringing more people to watch flat tracking. Speaking of which... I believe it is time for me to tell you what's coming up in racing events this week. July 1st and 2nd in Sturgis, South Dakota, there's going to be some supermoto racing. It's round three of a six-round season of the AMA Supermoto, and it's really sad that Supermoto does not get way more exposure because it's super fun to watch. I remember when Nikki Hayden used to race Supermoto. Uh, I think they called it Super TT at that time, but I remember seeing that on Speed back when they used to actually show motorcycle racing. And maybe it was part of the first X Games. I don't remember very well, but I do remember that Buell used to make a TT, and I thought it was just for that class. So, But yeah, super cool. Um, Sturgis, South Dakota, followed by Quebec City, Canada, Denver, and then Tucson. And those are coming up in the next few months. So if you're into supermoto, you want to see it grotto, or you're just into watching people cruise basically with the city as a backdrop, go check it out. July 3rd at the Harley-Davidson Motorcycle Museum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, there's a meet and greet for the HD Factory team racer Davis Fisher. That's going to be Sunday, July 3rd from 10 to 4 
at the Harley-Davidson Museum. Now, he's going to be there. He's 18 years old. He's riding the new XG750R, so it'd be pretty cool to meet him. He really had, I think, only two seasons uh, yeah, two seasons in GNC2 before he moved up to GNC1. So, yeah, he's, it's pretty cool that you'll be able to meet uh, an up-and-coming star. He's been doing really well. So that would be kind of fun to check out if you're in Wisconsin or anywhere near, near Milwaukee, like Portland, Oregon. On the 4th of July, you should probably just enjoy a few drinks and roast a few hot dogs with your friends. Probably shouldn't really do anything major. Um, and then for the middle of the week, you probably shouldn't schedule anything. I'm guessing it's going to be kind of hot for most of the country. So besides mowing your lawn and hanging out by the pool or uh, taking a cold shower if you don't have a pool like I'm going to be doing, I, I probably wouldn't do much. It's probably going to be real hot. Maybe catch up on some stuff on Netflix. I'm um, having adult beverage if that's what you like to partake in. So stuff like that. I think that'd probably be the best for the middle of the week. Uh, once we start hitting the end of the week, next week, July 8th through 10th is the AMA Vintage Motorcycle Days at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. And if you're not familiar with the uh, Vintage Days, you can go to facebook.com forward slash AMA Vintage Motorcycle Days. And there's basically this huge uh, racing event, swap meet, vintage car or motorcycle shows. There's riding, all sorts of fun. There's a bunch of um, demos, I think. So yeah, check it out. Go on AMA Racing, AMA VMBD. You can text that. If you can, can you text? You can text. If you can text, text AMA VMD to 856-888-4636 for a bunch of text alerts during the event. If you sign up, you'll be entered to win a t-shirt. So there, get a new t-shirt and go see a bunch of vintage rad shit. Coinciding with the AMA's Vintage Motorcycle Days is also ARMA Vintage Motorcycle Racing, and that's going to be at uh, the New Jersey Motorsports Park July 7th through the 9th. So basically at the same time as the AMA, uh, so depending on which one you're more interested in, ARMA has a little bit smaller of an organization, but a heck of a lot of classes and a lot of fun. The AMA, I feel like, has is a little bit bigger since obviously they're the American Motorcycle Association and they got a lot more backing behind them. They have a lot more stuff to do. But the ARMA stuff is super fun to go to as well. And you can see people that are actually racing for points in their championships, respectively, and that still are basically preserving not just an atmosphere like a festival atmosphere like the vintage days they are actually racing and you know preserving the act of racing these old vintage motorcycles so whether you go to ama vintage days or armor vintage racing festival uh they're both happening roughly on the same side of the country at least so uh if you're in between those just flip a coin and then go to one of them and i'm sure you will not be let down If you're going to be in Missouri this week or this weekend after 4th of July and you sober up and get back over to Missouri because the 7th to the 9th, there's going to be the Hoontown Rally. And that sounds just like basically uh, what it is. I I think it's Hoontown, but I I like Hoontown better because that sounds sounds a little bit like Poontown and it sounds like Hooning, which is both fun. But I I basically think it's going to be like Born Free, but without all the cool builders. It's just going to be a bunch of biker dudes getting together to do crazy shit. There's going to be live music, vendors, poker run, bike, and people contests. 
uh, tattoo contest, wet t-shirt contest, and probably some drinking contests and fights if these things uh, go how I imagine they do. So get over to Hoontown, or Hoontown as I call it, and have yourself a good time. That's in Missouri, between Springfield and Branson. The Armory Town and the Hollywood for Christians. Take it easy. Sayonara. Also on the 7th through the 10th, if you're going to be in Colorado, you can check out the Rigs in the Rockies USCA Sidecar Rally. That's right. The United Sidecar Association proudly announces the 38th National Rally in Hotchkiss, Colorado. Rigs in the Rockies, baby. Oh, sorry, hipsters. There's a disclaimer here at the bottom. This is not for hipsters who want to show off their sweet, overpriced Euro rig or their Harley Davidson one-off sidecar or vintage side hack racer. This is for uh, actual people that have owned sidecars for the 38 years that this has been going on. So it says no waxed cotton, no flannel, no funky mustaches, no hipsters. Keep hipsters out of sidecars. Well, I guess they've been reading my blog. Uh, so go ahead. And if you are a hipster, do not plan to attend. But if you do like sidecars and you are not a hipster or mm, you can hide your hipsterness very well, uh, you may be able to attend this without ruffling any feathers. I hear there's something also going on the 8th at Laguna Seca called, I don't know, the World Superbike Shootout or something like that. World Superbike Weekend. What could that possibly... Oh, World Superbike and Moto America will be there on the 8th. Um, Sunday, Friday the 8th through Sunday the 10th, Moto America will share the Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca with the World Superbike Championship as the very best of national and international superbike racers invade the Monterey Peninsula. July 8th through 10th, the track in the hills east of Monterey has hosted every kind of motorcycle racing from MotoGP to superbikes on its 11-turn 2.238-mile circuit that features a famous corkscrew, a left-right combination with a big drop in elevation. The features of the famous corkscrew are that it goes left, then right, and then it has a big drop in elevation. And it's called a corkscrew. The track also has a corner named after Motor America president and three-time 500cc world champion Wayne Rainey, called the Rainey Curve, which it's always wet in that corner. I, what the hell? Anyway, go check it out. Who would want to miss Superbike Weekend and Moto America Road Racing at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca? Monterey Peninsula. I forgot to buy bacon for my grandpa. Also coming up on the 8th, who could forget our very own WIR Top 10 Bikes. Wisconsin International Raceway is going to be home to the RSD Real Street Drags contingency they're going to be out there I, I don't know what they're contingent over i guess they're just racing for see who gets on top of that board baby anyway uh i know there's some down and outs i think mr singsheim's out he won't be able to challenge he may get booted backward i'm not sure if he gets booted off the board oh i'll we'll have to watch and see i'll we'll have to watch and find out this has got me on the edge of my seat now that i think about it because a lot of people have been talking trash but also uh, a lot of people have been showing their cards lately, and so I don't know. I think Mankiewicz may end up on top. If she does, I demand that we call the series to, and to an end, a final end, never to race again, and she goes out with the crown on top. But 
If not, there's always pressed on nipples who can take the spot away from Dylan. No, no, no. Dylan's challenging Preston. Okay, so here's what's happening. Jake's in the number one and Michelle's in number two. Dylan and Preston are four and three. Chris is by himself in number five. I guess this is a bye week for him. He's blown his engine and Guy is down in eighth with no challengers either. So those two guys can drink beer and laugh at everybody while they blow up their bikes trying to climb that ladder. Dustin and Jason are seven and six and Ryan and Terry are 10 and nine with another Justin. I'm guessing this is Justin High down there on the bottom or how I'm sorry. I speak a different language where your last name is pronounced High. So anyway, all right, buddies. That's it for Wisconsin International's Top 10 Drag, Real Street Drag Bikes at Kukana, Wisconsin. International Race. Brain explode. On July 10th, if you're in the greater Los Angeles area, or if you're in SoCal anywhere and you want to come up here and hang out, there's the Los Angeles TT. If you've never heard of the Los Angeles TT before, you're really missing out. No, it's not a time trial, and it's not a tourist trophy, or any of the other glorious things that go along with road racing around a big city. No, this is the Los Angeles Taco Tour. It's for bikes that are 125 cc's or less, but if you got a bigger boy, boy just ask to join. They'll probably oblige. So they're going to meet up at 11 o'clock at Chango Coffee in Echo Park Avenue, Los Angeles, and kickstands up at 11.30. They're going to roll out to the taco spot on Colorado Boulevard in Los Angeles, then they're going to hit up Treo's Tacos in Brea Avenue. Then they're going to roll on down to Casitas Taco Al Carbone on North Victory Boulevard in Burbank. Finishing up at the Cretans Clubhouse at about 3 p.m. So listen, man, this is going to be a taco breakfast brunch crunch munch a lunch. So you better, like, pace yourself unless you want to be shutting your paunch. All right. I retract that last statement. But anyway, there you go. There's a few things to hold you over for the next week or so until the uh, month of July rolls on. We get some more flat tracking or road racing to watch. Uh, Flat track, uh, AMA flat track, is actually going to take a four-week break, I believe, after the Lima Mile. And uh, hopefully you can head out to, like, Paris or City of Industry or anywhere else where they have some roundy-round flat track racing. Or check out flat tracking in your neighborhood i know chris singsheim up in wisconsin is going to be checking out some flat tracking this weekend at the dairyland classic i believe a weekend full of flat track and amateur and vintage racing over in somewhere in wisconsin where there is some dairyland that's why they call it dairyland classic so anyway the ama schedule will pick up again on 7 30 in charlotte so we got we got about a whole month you know got a whole month month of waiting for that to get back online all right and enough about what to do in the next month let's let's talk about what happened in the last month so i, I wanted to talk about pike's peak because i had ranted on a little bit about isle of man now i really want to get into america's world famous road race race to the clouds so if you didn't know and if you haven't been keeping tabs last year don Kinney rode the 156 the glorious glorious 156 this year he was on Another victory, but it was the victory impulse. So what happened this year? Well, if you watch some of the footage or have been keeping up with them, I believe they have a little feature on Cycle World that was following um, him through his preparation and then the race and then his actual results. I think there's probably even onboard footage. Uh, You know, he had it in the bag 
I'm pretty sure he had it in the bag. There was another guy named, ooh, I want to say Rennie Scraysbrook, who was on track to have overall, but he crashed, I believe, and it took him 20 seconds to get on and get back going again. But he was faster than Duncanay in qualifying, I think, or in practice. So it was like a toss-up, who, which of them was going was gonna to take it. It ended up being neither one. I'm not 100% sure how to say this guy's last name, but Bruno Langlois, I believe, is how you say this. He took it on his Kawasaki in the heavyweights class uh, by just, I think, just over four seconds uh, faster than Don Kane, which is pretty good. Don Kane apparently had a little bit of an off uh, coming around one of the corners or something, got a little bit off track, got himself set back up, but lost a lot of speed heading into like one of the fastest uh, areas of the track, I guess. So that happened, and I think he was the first bike on the hill also. So you got to imagine, you know, cold tires, cold road. I know that there was snow. I saw pictures of snow in in many of the competitors' uh, photo shoots. So gravel, a little bit of wetness and runoff and all that stuff. So being the first bike on cold tires on a cold road probably did not help. I just checked, and he actually lost it in a 100-mile-an-hour sweeper approaching the upper gravel pit, which I'm not 100% sure where that is, but... I think I know what he's talking about. Yeah, that is pretty nuts. So uh, losing it in 100 miles an hour and going a little bit off-road and crossing the double yellows and a little bit of oil slick, not my ideal idea of a ride. But anyway, he made it all the way up. Jeremy Toy on the Victory 156 made it up, and Don Kane still had his uh, P1. And then what happened was a bunch of red flags, and then I think the day warmed up a little bit and the road warmed up a little bit. And he held P1 for a little bit until Bruno Langlois, I believe is how you say this guy's name. It's Langlois. I'm 100% sure that's how you say it. Anyway, he uh, came up. He was a former Pike Speaks champion anyway, and he came up posting a 10.13 to Don Kane's 10.17. So not too bad for electric motorcycle to, you know, come in second to a Z1000, having maybe made just that four-second mistake down there when he slid across the road at 100 miles an hour. So not too shabby, man. Uh, Pretty amazing what an electric motorcycle can do, and I'm so stoked. I said it last year that I was really keeping my eye on victory. I believe that was podcast number one or two that I said that in, and it's turning out to be true, and I just I can't wait. You know, zeros are coming online. Victories are coming online. All this great stuff is going to be headed our way, folks, so I am super stoked. All right, well, it's an hour in. I think I'm done for today. Uh, Just kind of be a short one, not a bunch of rambling and blabbing. I try to keep it short, keep it concise today. And uh, I guess I'm going to give you a little bit of a sorry list before the blooper reel. All right. Yep, that's my sign off. Creative Writing would like to apologize to the following groups, people, companies, etc. Guy Martin. We are sorry. Cameron Donald, we're sorry. Fat chicks with one eye and a hairy mole on the back of a cruiser, we are sorry. People who suffer from Parkinson's and play Yahtzee, we're sorry. 56-year-old guy, we're sorry. My call, we're sorry. Wildemar, OHV area, we're sorry. Roland Sands, we're sorry. Shinya, Kimura, we're sorry. Show Class Mag, we are very sorry. P.B. Herman, we're sorry. People who tip their bikes over, we're sorry. Davis Fisher, we're sorry. Richard Pollock of Mule Motorcycles, we are sorry. Don Kane, Bruno Langlois, Keanu Reeves, Brad Pitt, Jeremy Toy, 
We are sorry. Pikes Peak, 100th anniversary of the International Hill Climb there, the Race to the Clouds. Pikes Peak, we are sorry. Jack Miller, we're sorry we did not mention you in this episode, although you just won the assin' round of MotoGP, baby. We will talk about you later, you mulleted mustachioed madman from Australia. Go Ozzo. Born free, we are sorry. Santiago Canyon in Silverado, we're sorry. The Tour Divide, we are sorry. And the Complex Fire in Azusa, California, we are sorry. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Until next time, don't fall in the dirt, because even the dirt can hurt. And, yeah, you'll be signed. All right, everybody, so listen up. You know, if not, there's always that nipple guy. This coming weekend, if you live in the United States of America, or I guess any of its territories that celebrate United States holidays, you know there's always that nipple guy come in and and ride up the ranks. The 4th of July is coming up this weekend. Well, actually, I guess technically it's coming up on Monday. But at any rate, please, pretty please, pressing nipples who can can do some stuff. Pressing, I guess I better quit talking shit and just start looking at the board see who's up there it's coming up on sunday i have a calendar i should look at it more often all right if you are in milwaukee wisconsin this weekend on july 3rd uh the factory all right and also on the 10th if you're in the greater los angeles area the latt is going to be happening that is hey wait that is on saturday a tt right in la at any rate this weekend, no matter what you do or where you go, uh, Davis Fisher is going to be there from 10 to 4. Please be safe. Ride responsibly. There's lots of motorcycle-related stuff going on this weekend. If you are not sure what's happening in your area, he's going to be signing autographs. Uh, you can get Dash and Davis Fisher's autograph. Come on, come on. Go to cyclefish.com. They've got an events page where you can look up everything. Come on, there it is. Son of a bitch. Why isn't it showing? Where's my events? You motherfucker. You motherfucker. It would take me two hours to list off all the events that are posted up around each city in the United States. Why would you do that to me? F-I-S-H dot com. Come on, dude. Come on, dude. Whale derp.